Howdy. Remember me? No? Well, that's not surprising, since I haven't done anything on this podcast, if you want to call it that, in quite a long time. Uh, probably pushing two years, I would say. Um, you know, stuff happens. Life got in the way. Which is more important than anything. Life, obviously. The stuff that goes on in your, in your life. But, uh, just kind of got the itch to talk some more about some stuff and I'm going to do it now. It's the Christmas season and I'm, I'm ready to talk about Christmas movies or one in particular. Um, it's a little known film that kind of epitomizes the Christmas season. I think personally, most of you probably haven't seen it. Um, it's a little known movie from 1946 called It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, you, maybe you've seen some of the stars, but I'm sure most of you haven't seen this film. Whatever. doesn't matter. Uh, just know that I told you about it first. I'm the first to tell you about this film. But seriously, obviously most of you have probably heard of It's a Wonderful Life at one point in your life, I'm sure. Uh, I personally until about a week ago, had never seen the film all the way through. I'd seen bits and pieces of it, but I had never sat down and watched it from beginning to end, which is kind of unbelievable because I'm 43 years old, and this is usually considered one of the top three Christmas movies of all time. You know, your your top movies might be interchangeable, but most people, maybe not some of the youngsters, if you will, but most people you know, maybe a little bit younger than myself and then up to the old timers will probably pick this as one of their, their top Christmas movies. And I never really knew what all the fuss was about because like I said, I'd never seen it. It's one of my mom's favorite, not just movies, but it's like not just Christmas movies. It's one of her favorite movies. But for some reason, even though she had it on VHS and then on DVD, I never watched it. So I decided the other night we have a, a thing in my house where, you know, once a week, everybody gets their own pick for a movie and we'll watch a movie after dinner and stuff. It doesn't always work out, but it, it usually does. Everybody gets their pick for the week. So I use mine on a Christmas film and I couldn't, I didn't really know which one I wanted to watch. There's a few, I've never seen white Christmas all the way through, um, I thought about Holiday Inn, which is basically just the first version of White Christmas, j just a few changes. Um, I didn't go Miracle on 34th Street. I've seen it a bunch of times. It's a good movie, but I didn't feel like it, um, which is another question, whether or not that should be a Christmas movie or what constitutes a Christmas movie. Maybe I'll do that in a future one. But um, Miracle on 34th Street is one of those movies. It's debatable. It's Christmas-themed. But anyways, I'm not going to get into that. Um, I almost picked Die Hard to be a jerk because I know my daughter probably wouldn't like it, but I love Die Hard and it is a Christmas movie in my opinion. Um, but I didn't do that. I decided to go with just a classic, something I'd always heard good, good stuff about. Like I said, it's always right there in the Christmas movie conversation. It's a Wonderful Life for 1946, directed by Frank Capra, Frank Capra. And starring Sir James Stewart, 
or Jimmy Stewart of uh, Jimmy Stewart's from Indiana, Pennsylvania, which I thought was weird. Sorry. Um, Jimmy Stewart's kind of an interesting guy, so maybe I'll do something about him one day. But anyways, this was Jimmy Stewart's first movie after World War II. Um, and for him, you know, he always, most of the stuff he did back before the war was lighthearted. Not a whole lot of uh, darkness to it, you know, if you will. It was basically lighthearted stuff, kind of the, like I watched the Philadelphia story. He was in that. He was kind of a goofy, intelligent guy, but he was goofy. And um, it's just different different types of roles, you know. But see him in something like It's Wonderful Life, at first doesn't seem any different than anything he used to do. But as you start watching it, It's a Wonderful Life is kind of a dark film. You know, the whole, one of the whole main premises of it is life and taking your whole, your own life and, and some very serious subject matter. And, you know, in a movie from 1946 where, you know, you might, you might hear people talk about like, oh yeah, somebody was killed or somebody killed themselves in one of these movies. You might hear about one of the characters talking about it, but you didn't see a lot of it. And this one with the whole focus was this man who was going to take his own life at the holiday season. And I, me personally, I think that's pretty dark for 1946. So that right there kind of makes it a special movie. And then, you know, the beginning of the movie um, is just basically how, well, the, one of the first things you see is after you meet the man, they talk to the, the, the angels talk in heaven, which just outer space and they look like stars. It's a little weird, but you know, I guess heaven's in space. If you believe in heaven, it's in outer space. And so they're, they're talking and the, um, the guys in charge of heaven are talking to the angel Clarence who hasn't gotten his wings yet. And they're talking about um, George's life. George is Jimmy Stewart's character, George Bailey. He lives in the town of Bedford Falls in New York. And uh, anyways, there's a lot to it right there, but I'm not going to get into that. I just want to talk about the premise of the movie. Um, Basically, the first thing you see is after he's born, he's like 11 years old and they're sledding and like, he has to save his brother's life. Like he, they're sledding, they go onto a hill and he ends up mm-hmm. falling into the water, almost drowning. George saves him. And in the process, George goes deaf in one ear. So right there, it's a little, it starts off kind of, you know, dark, little kids going deaf. That's kind of dark. And of course, George being George, he deals with it. He can't do a lot of the same stuff the other kids do, but he still plays sports, whatever. The next scene He's going to the pharmacy where he works already at like 12 years old. And he has a job working after school in the pharmacy. And he stops the pharmacist who just lost his son to what you presume is the Spanish flu based on the telegram in the movie. And the guy's drunk and he accidentally he's drunk working the pharmacy. He's obviously drunk and they show him drinking and. Um, he almost gives the wrong pills to a, another child instead of giving him the pills he's supposed to get. He almost gives him poison. 
like straight up just poison in pill form. And George catches it and stops him. But the guy thinks that George is just trying to slack off on the job and he starts hitting him in the head, like slapping him right upside the, his bad ear. It's like, what the hell? I mean, it takes place and that part takes place in like 1919, but still he's just slapping this stranger's kid or this person's kids, not his own kid, someone else's kid upside the head a bunch of times and yelling at him, making the kid cry until the kid corrects him and shows him what he did. Then the guy stops drinking right then. So basically George has already saved his brother and saved the alcoholic pharmacist twice because he stopped him from poisoning somebody and also stopped him for drinking for the rest of his life. So right there, you know, it's a pretty big victory and it keeps on going like that. But everything that happens always has its consequences, which is just like real life. But in the movie, it's just like every time he gets ahead, he gets pulled back. He, he supposed to go to college, leave the family business, go to college. And the night he's getting ready to leave, his dad dies. He has to stay in town, run the family business. Four years later, he's going to be passing the business off to his uncle, his dad's brother, and the stock market crashes or whatever it was, and he's pulled back in again. So there's always these obstacles that George has to keep on trying to overcome to fulfill his dream of traveling the world, going to college, becoming an architect. Everything he does gets screwed basically the whole time. He meets a girl, but then he's already leaving town. He doesn't want to meet a girl, but he meets her. And guess what? Falls in love with her. Doesn't leave. Well, they're going to sell the, com- or they're, they're talking about selling his business, but he can't do it because his dad left was the only person in town that actually helped people out. Whereas the bank, the rival bank doesn't help anybody out. And that's a whole nother thing. I'll get into that afterwards. Um, basically George, in his opinion, even though he has family and friends that love him and a wife that loves him dearly, and eventually they have four kids together, they bought a house in their hometown and rebuilt it, the the house of her dreams, basically, across from where she grew up, completely renovated it. Um, he has everything, but he thinks he has nothing, you know, everything you need. He doesn't make a lot of money, but he makes enough. He helps everybody out. He does everything he can, but it becomes too much and something happens and his inept uncle, uncle Billy loses the money that's supposed to be deposited in the bank that belongs to the shareholders of his company. And what do you know? George is getting in trouble with the law for stealing money, even though he didn't do anything, but he's going to take the fall because that's the kind of person he is. He doesn't want uncle Billy to go to jail. So he's ready to take the fall. Nothing works out. So he decides to take his own life. And Clarence the Angel comes down and basically is trying to save him from himself and show him how great his life was. And George wishes he'd never been born because everything would have been better if he'd never been born. He would never have to go through this. And and Clarence the Angel, second class, he, he makes sure you know that. He's Angel second class. Shows him what his what life would be like, not his life, because he's not he wasn't born. He shows what life would be like if George was never born, what everybody else's life would was like. And he kind of starts to see his brother was never saved. His brother drowned, froze to death in the lake. 
Mr. Gower, the pharmacist, poisoned a child, served 20 years in jail, and his son still died of Spanish flu. Um, his dad still died. His mom ran a boarding home or a, a tenant, basically a tenant house. So, so what do you call it? A, a flop house, I guess. I don't know exactly what you'd call it, but she rented out rooms to people. She didn't have any kids because George was never born and his brother Harry died. So she had no children. His wife didn't know who he was. And that was the last straw when he finally found her and she didn't recognize him. That's where he realized he wished he'd been born or whatever. So Clarence made everything right. He was born again. He realized, saw everything that he took for granted. That was actually the most important thing in his life. The town folk, the people he'd always helped, came and came through and helped him out. His brother Harry, who was a, a national hero for his actions in World War II, came home, cheer, you know, saluted him, let him know how important he was to everybody, and they all helped out. George was able to get the money, deposit it, no jail, end of movie. It sounds pretty simple, but actually it was done really well. Besides your, you know, you always got those movies from the 1930s and 1940s where it seemed like everybody overacted a lot. There were points of that. But for the most part, it was a very steady, well-acted movie. The story was great. The direction was was awesome. Frank Capra was, was awesome. I almost called him Crapra. I didn't mean that. Frank Capra, who's... One of the best directors of his time. Um, did a swell job. Jimmy Stewart, like I said, it's a darker... It's not dark. It's just darker than what he usually did. Um, received an Academy Award nomination for it. Even though the movie wasn't really a huge success when it came out, it made it did better in subsequent years, different re-releases. And has obviously in the last 50, 60 years become what you would call a Christmas classic. Um. I don't think Jimmy Stewart received the Oscar. I think he just nominated for the Oscar. I'll have to check that. That's not important. It's just a different type of Christmas film. You don't get a lot of them that are different than the normal formula, you know. Um, people live in their life. Things happen. They overcome it. The end. This was dark for a Christmas movie. Not like diehard die terrorists taking over a building, killing people dark, but for 1946, it was pretty dark. So... In this, my first ever complete viewing of it, I watched it with my wife and my two kids, my son and my daughter, and my wife had seen it before. My kids had never seen it. My son liked it, but surprisingly to me, because usually she doesn't like any older, too many older films or movies of this nature, my daughter actually liked it a lot. It surprised me. In my personal opinion... Because, you know, I got to the point where everybody's like, oh, it's a wonderful life. It's a, it's a great Christmas movie. And I just got sick of hearing it, and I just never worried about it. I didn't I didn't want to give it a chance. I was wrong. It's a Wonderful Life is a really good movie. Not just a Christmas movie. It's a really good movie. I ended up enjoying the hell out of it. Um, so, thumbs up. You should watch it. But I wanted to get into one more thing about this movie. I don't want to bring it up during the discussion but i'm bringing it up now so george's family runs a loan house if you will basically it's a 
it's a credit union. But it's not technically bound by like the the US government like a bank would be. They basically people save their money there, but the credit union uses it to loan out to people so they can build stuff and then they pay it back with interest and that's how everybody makes their money. It's a credit union. For you those of you who aren't familiar, just Google credit union. It'll tell you. Mr. Potter, the richest man in the county in the movie, runs the bank. He owns the bank. He bought the bank. Um, when the stock market crashed, he bought everything for pennies on a dollar. So basically him and not just George, but George's dad have been at odds for years and years and years. Mr. Potter sucks. Um, he wants to own the whole town, rent out all the houses, you know, like these slummy houses to people who can't afford them because he's raised the rent so much. He basically just wants to run every single facet of this town. Kind of like Biff in Back to the Future too. Remember he owned the big casino, he owned Hill Valley, he owned everything. And it's it was good for some people, but really shitty for most people. So Mr. Potter's like that type. Just, you know, 70 years earlier, if you will. Or actually, I guess 50 years earlier. 40. 40 years. So he's like, that's what he does. He's the landlord. He owns everything. So you, you can't get around getting anything from him. So the Baileys are at odds with him all the time because they're trying to make everything better. Well, I told you before about George's inept Uncle Billy. He was supposed to deposit the money on Christmas Eve at the bank. That's all the shareholders' money from that month or that quarter. I don't know what it was. $8,000. Well, that's the equivalent nowadays of $200,000 with inflation. I did the math. Well, Uncle Billy loses $8,000. Why is he walking around with an envelope with $8,000 in it? $200,000, basically. So like, I'm just going to walk to the bank. Nope, you don't do that. You go online. Although you couldn't go online then, but still. Why would you entrust it to that guy that you know is an ep- the, the guy has a pet crow and a pet squirrel in his house. He's a weird dude. Why would you trust him with $8,000? Anyways, he loses it. But what he does is he wraps it up in a newspaper without realizing it and gives it to evil Mr. Potter. Well, evil Mr. Potter just sits on it, doesn't do anything with it. And that's how he gets George in trouble with the law. Because he just doesn't say, hey, I got your money. So basically, he takes it and doesn't let anybody know and then also doesn't give it back, which is stealing. He stole the money. That's thievery. And then he... Just keeps it. And at the end of the movie, when everybody's coming to save George's ass because of Mr. Potter, they're giving the money, and he gets enough money to save everything. Everything's good. Like, all right, cool. Now we're going to find out what happened with the money. Obviously, Mr. Potter gave it back. No. The movie ends. Mr. Potter's a crook, and he's still a crook, and he never gets his, his – no one ever gets justice – or anything, he just stole the money, and that's the end. What the hell happened to $8,000? What did he do with it? So that's my only gripe with the movie, is how did this criminal man get away with stealing money, this rich man, obviously, stealing more money from the poor people, and just, like, nothing happened with it? It confused me. But other than that, 
If you've never seen or heard of, I doubt that, but if you've never seen It's a Wonderful Life, check it out. Pretty good damn movie. Um, except for that ending where I thought Mr. Potter should have went to jail or been beat up by the townsfolk. Something. There should have been some justice. I don't get that. But uh, that's just my opinion. Hopefully I didn't bore you. Thanks for listening to my first show in like two years. I did this all on my lunchtime. So if it sucks, well, don't listen. But if you like it, tell your friends. Also, I am on another podcast. If you want to check that out, it's the Great Radio Underground Podcast. It's not called the Great. It's just Radio Underground. All one word, available on all of the podcast sites or apps you use. It's available everywhere. Check it out. Radio Underground, one word. It's me, my brother, and my cousin, and it's not for everybody. So if you don't like it, don't try to cancel us. Um, it's a joke, but it's serious, but it's also a joke. Check it out, Radio Underground. And thanks for listening. Bye-bye.